Device Nation. Greetings and salutations, Device Nation. You're home for the greatest show on earth, and we know that show is Medical Device Sales with ideas, stories, and interviews to help take you from good to great. This is Kevin Brown, your voice of bony and growth in times of aseptic loosening. I hope you are having an awesome day. Hope you had an awesome week. I stuck my head out the window the other day, and I listened carefully, and yes, I think I heard boxes opening across the fruited plain. And I hope one of those boxes being opened was by you. So we're starting to see more and more cases coming in. However, there's a lot of people out there that are still going through some major challenges right now. Major challenges. And I want to divert away from our Mr. Rogers series for a minute to focus on that because I think it's appropriate for today. One little side note, just as a tease. Who are the people in your neighborhood, said Mr. Rogers. Well, you know what? I found out the other day that one of my neighbors is an FBI crisis negotiator. He has agreed to come on the show and has some really cool things to share that unfortunately doesn't involve gunplay. So it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to want to hang out for that. Where are we now? Desperate times call for desperate measures, right? We are in desperate times. A lot of us are. We haven't done cases in a while. Uh, some of us are living on loans or 80%, 50% of what your commission structure was. This is really an interesting place for a lot of people. That line, by the way, desperate times call for desperate measures, came from Hippocrates, the ancient Greek physician. And what did he say? For extreme diseases, extreme methods of cure. Now, is that appropriate for medical device? Because I, I realized the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine who sold books door-to-door. I sold books door-to-door when I got out of school, and it's kind of like a fraternity, sorority with anybody that's ever done that. So we were catching up about what we did and how things went, and I realized that the sales pattern of medical device is just so different the rhythm of this job, and if you try to apply like a pharma model to this job, it just doesn't work. If you try to apply the, the copier sales or the cold call selling, it's just so different than that. And, and I think that this desperate times, desperate measures thing needs to be something that we really, really need to take to heart because that is going to destroy you in this business if you go that route. So what do I mean by this? Let's, let me give you some real-life stories, just me first. I remember feeling a lot of pressure from above me to move a certain product. And honestly, probably 60% of it was self-imposed. Uh, if somebody just gives me a passing word, hey, I'd like you to do this, then I take responsibility for it and I try to make it happen. So I spent the next two weeks kind of in desperation mode trying to get uh, surgeons at pretty much the only hospital that could have used this particular thing to, to hear my shtick. And they weren't really into it uh, when I first showed it, but I just had to keep on about it. And I spent the whole week just trying to slip it in here and there. I would always have a prop and trying to get the conversation going again. And, you know, this was just a desperation move. At the end of the week, one of the surgeons who was a dear friend and it's always a dear friend when they will tell you the uncomfortable truth, right? He said, Kevin, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said these two profound words. 
stop it, stop it. And I felt like I just got slapped out of it, and I realized I did need to stop it. I was off my rhythm. It was not the way I normally go about showing things. And what made it fail was that desperation got mixed into my recipe, my pancake recipe, right? Two cups of flour, two tablespoons of baking powder, a quarter teaspoon of desperation. That, that recipe never works in medical device sales. One company that really uh, brought that whole mindset to the forefront was U.S. Surgical. And I know a lot of you old-timers are nodding your heads. You remember this place. Uh, the one particular funny story I have about a U.S. Surgical rep in my area he would routinely put his business card in front of the bagels or the donuts that I brought for the staff that morning. And he got away with it uh, for quite a bit of time until one fateful day, me and him were in the lounge together. And one of the nurses thanked him for the bagels that I brought. And then I saw what was going on. It was the big salad before the big salad episode of Seinfeld ever existed. So Interesting crowd over there, but the more I've read about this company, they were under extreme pressure to do this job of moving surgical staplers. So I'm going to read just a little bit to you from an article in the New York Times way back when, and we're going to tie this up. I've never seen any pressure like there, said Frank Mann, who was a sales manager for U.S. Surgical's Hospital Systems Division. They'd just hound you to death. If you didn't do this, you'd lose your job. If you didn't do that, you'd lose your job. You'd have your job threatened every week, every day. One former sales manager said that pressured by his superiors, he wrote up phony orders during one quarter. When he refused to continue the practice, he was dismissed. Well-trained they might be, but quite a few U.S. surgical salespeople also picked up some heavy-handed selling stratagems. According to the SEC complaint, U.S. surgical would periodically ship unordered product to hospitals, especially at the end of a financial quarter. Don't try this, people. Several methods were used, such as reentering a previous order, doubling or tripling the amount of an order, or simply fabricating orders. Salesmen would then try to cajole the hospitals to keep the stuff, a concept known as making it stick. As a former divisional manager explained, if you got an order for 10 dozen and put a zero on it and 100 were shipped, you'd say, well, it was a computer error. You know how it is. Well, you wouldn't have to pay for it for 90 days. By then, you would have figured out a way to keep it there. Sometimes a U.S. surgical salesman would come in and move product from one part of a hospital to another part of the hospital and say, look how much product has moved. One real clever way to get orders would be to take all of the staples out of the operating room storage area and put it into each individual operating room and then say, look, the stuff's all gone. Better order more. That's kind of creative if you think about it in a very diabolical way. That's very creative. I had a situation in one of my hospitals where it wasn't until there was a leak in the ceiling after a particularly bad rainstorm that we found out that the U.S. surgical rep was actually hiding staplers in the ceiling. I had a friend of mine out in Texas that had something similar happened and they didn't realize it until literally the panels and the ceiling collapsed from all the staplers that were packed above it. Uh, going back to the article, one glimpse of the company's workings came in the deposition of a former top salesman. She described an end of quarter weekend in 1980 in more desperate panic than usual. USSC announced Friday that the quarter would be extended to Monday night. Managers were flown into company headquarters in Connecticut, yelled at and pumped up, assigned a cubbyhole with a phone and given an easel. 
Roger, a sales executive, described it as looking like a telethon with Leon Hirsch, who was the um, CEO at the time, pacing between managers, following the numbers coming in. Hospitals order nothing on weekends, ordering departments are closed, and several salespeople called to share how upset they were. They said their managers said to keep their jobs, they would have to place a $28,000 order. They didn't care if their mother bought it. Uh, each salesman seemed to be given that figure, and one angry rep phoned in an order in his own name and address. Now, that sounds absolutely nuts. However, desperate times call for desperate measures. Calling in orders with your mother's name on it, your own home address, ordering it yourself, tripling accounts orders, hiding stuff in the ceiling. These are the marks of a desperate man or woman, aren't they? And we can easily get into that ourselves if we're not careful. A lot of us have not worked for four, six, eight weeks now, and we're feeling a sense of desperation about our jobs. And I'm telling you, you've got to keep that out of the recipe. It's a perfectly good pancake recipe, this thing called medical device. It takes time. It takes patience and a lot of thoughtfulness as to when you engage people. Let desperation get into that. It all goes out the window, and then you find yourself making sales calls at the scrub sink, which we don't do that, right? We don't do that. As a side note, this is the bonus feature. The reason why you don't do that is that you need their full attention, and you're not going to get it at the scrub sink. Somebody, I promise you, is going to walk up next to them, start scrubbing their hands. A nurse is going to come out, ask a question, and you're going to get interrupted over and over and over. The other reason we don't do it, just out of respect, because they've got thoughts about that case that they're probably going through, and they don't need us in their ear at that moment. If anything happens at the scrub sink for me, again, just a side note, I will say, look, I've got something really cool that our company just released. It takes 60 seconds to show you. Can I catch you after the case outside the break room and let you take a peek at it real quick? And then they're buying into the sales call. If they say yes, they know they're getting a commercial. And then it's just respect. So they're coming ready to listen. There won't be any distractions. And that's the way to do it. So getting back to desperate times. I share my own personal story and this U.S. surgical story to, again, let's be on guard against that. Make sure that we're not doing anything that smacks of desperation. That sales call that you really know in your heart shouldn't be made, don't do it. Don't do it. I had a friend of mine, a dear friend, who went to medical school in Greenville, North Carolina, and we were in the same apartment complex together, and we would go on these long runs and when we would finally make it back to the apartment complex, I would always just stop immediately once I got to the, the entrance. But he had to run all the way to his apartment. And I always used to tease him about it. He was very type A. And he said, I've just got to finish it. It didn't feel like a sense of completion if he stopped at the entrance. He had to go all the way to the door. And I think that type of thinking can get you in trouble when there's a little desperation involved because you will just take it all the way to the door when you should have stopped at the front entrance, right? That, that call that you, you know people are stressed out. And I have made this mistake recently, by the way. I, I talked to a nurse, and she clearly looked frazzled by the day's events. And I started on this shtick about something that I thought was interesting, and I realized this is not the right time for this at all. We really need to be sensitive to that right now because the staff's stressed out. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things on their plate, 
and you get a little desperation in your spiel, I think you can set yourself three steps back. Good stuff. If you're feeling desperate, do something else. Do something else. One of the things that I've done is looked for things that I can share with my hospital that I don't necessarily make any money from, but I think that might help them. And in my uh, travels, looking at what's going on in the world, I came across just an amazing technology. I wished I'd have thought of it myself. I've had a lot of fun getting to know the former rep who invented this. Now he's a rep for his own company. I'm excited to bring this content to you. I know you're going to want to share it with your accounts because it's one of those rare things that helps every stakeholder. It helps the anesthesiologist. It helps the surgeons. It helps the CSS people. It helps you. It helps the front desk. I could just go on and on and on. But I'll let him share all this stuff directly to you. So welcome to the show, Mr. Cam Sexton of Relay One. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Cam, I can't wait to hear your story, man. The first time I heard about your product, and we're going to go into that later, you had me. I just thought it was one of the coolest <laughs> ideas. So I want to hear how you got there, and then let's get into uh, into what you're doing now. So tell me about your life. I, I sure will. So, um, you know, my background, attended the University of North Carolina and played football there. So I've always had an athletic background. And, you know, after that uh, ended for me, I needed to go out and find a job. And a couple of my buddies worked for a company, KLS Martin, and they introduced me to um, who would eventually become my manager there. And I took an associate role and just started learning my way around the operating room and medical devices and spent my early career in devices in the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but basically covered the southeast uh, for anybody that had turnover or was out on vacation, uh, basically learning and, and paying my dues. And then I was promoted to the Northeast Florida territory where I ran basically Jacksonville, Tallahassee, and Savannah uh, for KLS. And it's at that point that I, um, you know, I'd already had experience in the OR, but began to really realize that this uh, surgical scheduling communication tool that we eventually built and now kind of called Relay One, that uh, it was a real problem, not only for me, but for everybody else working in that field, as well as the hospital. And like all good startup ideas, if you can find a problem that is uh, solved with a simple solution that saves people time and money, then generally people will pay for that and it will work for them as well. Tell me about the idea. Uh, did it start on a napkin, as so many do, or was it, uh, was it, was it less romantic than that? <laughs> Yes, actually, it's a bit less romantic. So uh, my uh, medical device career um, ended up ending, and I went out to start another startup that was, in retrospect, a really bad social media idea. But uh, got a lot of experience through that process, and, and really what was a failed startup. Um, learned a lot about startups, learned a lot about business, and um, found my eventual co-founders for Relay One, but after that um, company ended, we were looking for new ideas, and I always kept going back to this problem I, that I had as a device for not being able to access the surgical schedule. And I realized that you know it's not only a problem for uh, device reps, but also hospitals trying to coordinate surgeries. 
So I felt like, hey, we should explore this. And, um, you know, over a couple of months process, we figured out that, hey, this is actually doable, that we can build software that will make this work, and people do want it. So it was kind of through another failed startup that I actually got uh, to this idea and kind of came back to my roots in medical devices, which I honestly had no idea that I would ever work in that field again. I, I remember the the saying, never despise the day of small beginnings. And it's so true that a lot of the things that uh, that go sideways are actually a um, things that you learn from that really launch you into the next thing. So there's a, right. lot, a lot of truth to that as an entrepreneur of not getting uh, so dark and down when what you're doing isn't working because oftentimes it's just you're just one step away, right? That's certainly true. And I think uh, somebody once told me that entrepreneurship is something like running a marathon that if you show up you've beaten 75 percent of the people that you may be competing with because it's such a hard challenge to take on that if you've actually you know taken the time to train for that race and gotten yourself into the mental space to say look i'm ready to take on this challenge a lot of people aren't um you know don't have the the courage to go and take that risk on so i think a big part of it is just figuring out what you want to do and not being scared of, you know, kind of climbing the mountain. And then certainly too, and I'm pretty sure this is a Steve Jobs quote, but it's success in, in this world just comes from persistence. And you never know if it's that one last phone call or the one last email that you're going to finally catch a break. And I think, you know, that we're all going to kind of be tested in these times that we're currently facing. And if, if perseverance is a part of your character, it's going to give you a better chance, uh, not only in entrepreneurship, but coming out of uh, kind of the COVID-19 pandemic as well. Who's your, who's your role model? That's a great question. So I've always been into entrepreneurship. And I think some of my early heroes were certainly Steve Jobs. Um, you know, as I've studied him more over the years, I don't know if his personality is something that I would you know, exactly subscribe to. I think uh, Elon Musk is another one that I've always really looked up to in terms of just taking an idea, no matter what people say, and finding that, yes, this is important, this needs to be done, I don't care what the challenges are, and I certainly don't care what other people say in terms of whether this is possible or not. So I think I have a lot of respect for those two guys and, and and that they aren't afraid to take on challenges and go out and build, you know, awesome products that are going to have a real impact. Because I think uh, in startups, people talk a lot about wanting to save the world, but really they're out to make money. And I think those two guys um, certainly were in it for, you know, some of the financial gain. But I think ultimately they had the, uh, the motivation to improve people's lives. Well said. One common theme I've heard interviewing a lot of people about medical devices, the what separates the people that are truly successful and those that, that just get through it is just the passion aspect of it. And you see that uh, definitely on the entrepreneurship side because you're going to have down days. You're going to have times when you just want to throw in the towel, but it's that passion for what you're doing that gets you out of bed uh, the next day and keeps you going and then helps you find that success, right? Yeah, and it's so critical. And I think a great example for me is – being an athlete, like I always thought I'm going to be an NFL quarterback. Like that's, I knew that my whole life. And then when that ended, I had to totally reinvent myself. And my thought was, I don't know how I can ever have a quote unquote normal job in the medical device field. 
was kind of that for me. I felt like it was the only thing that I could really do besides play sports because there are so many similarities between entrepreneurship, startups, and running a medical device territory. You know, you're responsible for your success. You've got to manage a bunch of different people that come from all different walks of life. And there's complex sales cycles, relationships that need to be managed. And I don't know that there was ever a quarter or a year that I went through that it just didn't feel like it was a roller coaster. It was always, you better be able to handle the highs of the high and the lows of the low, because there's never any middle ground in either of those things. And I think ultimately that's just a microcosm of life that both of those industries reflect very well. So when I first started in sales cam, I had to sell a pencil to the manager uh, who was looking to hire me. Give me your elevator pitch on your product. So Relay One is a tool that allows hospitals to more easily coordinate surgeries with their surgical teams and medical device vendors. And the initial plan was from my background as a rep, providing the surgical scheduling to device reps. I didn't realize the uh, time and energy that the hospitals actually put into coordinating these surgeries as well. And what I say um, about that or what I'm getting to there is that it's a great product for both um, the device rep side and the hospital side. Um, so ultimately, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just sharing information automatically that is currently done in a very manual way. So, you know, the workflow is generally calls, emails, and texts back and forth. Um, those are unsecured, could be potentially exposing PHI. We simply provide access to those surgical schedules in real time, remotely, and allow um, all of those parties, surgical team, device reps, to get um, updates when anything changes um, from the hospital side in their electronic health record. There's obviously a technological plug-in here. Did you come up with that on your own? I mean, do you have a, any kind of technical f uh, fingerprint on this, or did you, have, uh, did you have some people helping you out? Yeah, so the initial design and concept came from me and one of my co-founders, uh, Tyler Droll, and he was the uh, the engineering and the technical chops on that side. So we started kind of devising how it would work, um, and then we brought in Tom Shrinetsky, who's our back-end engineer and our CTO, and uh, those two guys were able to you know, write the code, understand how the databases and the systems were going to work, um, and then also be able to interface with the hospital's electronic health record to make all of these things come together to produce, you know, the app that the end user actually sees. And obviously that's a very complex and technical process. That's that I leave that up to the experts. I'm not the technical guy, um, but ultimately to make things work smoothly. And I think, we especially see this in healthcare is that most of the products are complex, add additional workflows, and they're just not very user friendly. Um, so Tyler and Tom were able to really design something that it works automatically, it's running in the background, and it's very simple to use. I know y'all rolled it out into some systems already. That must have been so exciting when you saw it uh, uh, come on a screen on somebody's phone for the first time, right? Yeah, so when people talk about seeing their product out in the wild the first time, uh, it, there's just no way to just 
describe it. And hearing our hospital customers and the device reps tell us, like, we were getting emails like, oh, my God, this is going to change my life. This is amazing. That's just confirmation of all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. The literally years we spent, you know, um, getting this product out to market because your audience will really understand this. The healthcare sales cycle and selling to hospitals is very challenging, and uh, it takes time to get those deals done. So it was definitely uh, an awesome experience seeing that, you know, come to life. You know, we don't cheer on a crisis because it creates an opportunity. Uh, That would be a a pretty grotesque thing to do. But uh, it's certainly serendipity that your product is is, uh, where it is in the time uh, that it's in because the the traffic count in the OR for the scheduling and uh, minimizing ingress and egress out of the OR uh, and just the time constraints on the staff of, people calling them all the time to find out, am I still on? Is my case, did it get bumped? On and on. I mean, the the timing couldn't be better for what you're doing. Right. And, you know, that's something that we feel very fortunate about. And ultimately, you know, our customers, both on the hospital and device side, are hurting right now uh, with elective surgeries being postponed to a kind of to-be-determined date. So I think for us, we were always selling – um, the value propositions that we've kind of talked about. I think we just highlight those more now. And like you said, these are, you know, trying times that we don't absolutely do not want to celebrate in any way. But I do think the pace of innovation in healthcare and the investment in that is going to pick up here and it's ultimately going to be for the better. And I think, you know, as a society as a whole, I think our lives are going to be much different now. So, our goal is to try to help as much as we can and, you know, kind of be a positive um, out of all of this. And hopefully, you know, we'll see uh, some changes that will benefit all of us, especially in the healthcare space. How do people find out more about uh, about your product? So you can visit our website, RelayOne.com. Um, you can see all the information you need to see about the product. But um, if you have interest in bringing that into a facility that you are currently working at, we always talk to your directors, your coordinators. Um, if they have uh, interest in the product as well, please feel free to reach out on the website or you can always email me at cam at relay1.com. And we'd be happy to talk to you and uh, come talk to your hospitals. Impressive stuff and a, and a great conversation. Thanks for being on the show, Cam. You bet. Thanks very much for having me, Cam. Isn't that amazing technology? I mean, just the thought of being able to check your phone before you leave for a trauma case and know that you got bumped by a stat C-section or see the cases that you have the moment they get put on the schedule to know if it's a left or it's a right and all the other things that we neurotically obsess over, I think it's just going to help us all do a better job for our accounts. Great stuff. I know he's going to be successful at it, and I just encourage my audience to spread the word and let your customers know about it. Help them out. Good stuff. Desperate times call for desperate measures? Heck no. They call for thoughtful contemplation and restraint. You don't want to fumble the ball at the five-yard line. That is not the time to throw away the playbook and come up with a whole new set of things to do and to do it in a different way. Just keep pacing yourself. As a surgeon tells me all the time, slow and steady wins the race. So I just encourage all of you in this regard as we wait for more and more boxes to be open, slow and steady. Keep your pace. 
I don't want any of you to have to hear, stop it from one of your customers like I did when I did that very thing. So I hope this has all been helpful to you. Uh, It certainly helped me, and I hope you have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. I would appreciate your help with five stars and a friendly review. Really helps get the word out about the program. Thank you so much for listening. I'm always thankful for that and you being part of the conversation. And I hope you have an awesome week. Be smart, be positive, be strong, and most importantly, be safe. Mm